and divorce conversations where we analyze, navigate, and troubleshoot all stages of your romantic life. I'm your host, Igor Meisterman, a divorce attorney turned relationship coach. Now, there's literally no shortage of conversations we could take place about relationships, about different tools, techniques, um, how you could work through various issues. But what I could tell you after working with hundreds of couples going through divorces and then working with hundreds more trying to reconcile their relationships, heal relationships, bring more peace, tranquility, and connection, it's unavoidable that one topic that we revisit over and over again is the topic of self-esteem and codependence. And so I'd like to split it into two parts and share with you today um, how I diagnose self-esteem, how it shows and rears its ugly face, and then help the couples understand how much impact it has been playing in their relationship, and therefore before they can learn to appreciate each other, before they can gift or share with each other something that would bring more closeness, they have to first come to terms with how low self-esteem directly impacts their life. Here we go. Let's start with the obvious question. Why self-esteem such a central piece of this entire relational relational puzzle? Well, the reason is, is because self-esteem is precisely the place within us that acts as a springboard for all the ways we perceive the world, the way we perceive ourselves in the world, and therefore all the practical steps that follow, whether it's our thoughts, whether it's our actions, they all stem from a place of how we experience our sense of self-worth, our value, ultimately our self-esteem. So what is my worth? How do I measure that? Well, one of the ways that I invite couples into that conversation is we begin with a series of interesting questions that I invite you now to ask yourself. What is it like for me when my spouse disapproves of something I'm doing? What is it like for me when uh, my spouse um, doesn't give me a compliment? about the things I've done well, or things that I feel I stretched and worked hard on. What is that like for me? What feeling comes up for me? Take a moment, go ahead. Imagine a moment for yourself where you did something and you felt that disapproval from your spouse. You felt ranging from they were disgusted with me to they were just disappointed with me, or they were indifferent. Anywhere in that spectrum, as you give awareness to that, what comes up for you? What do you experience? And if you feel nothing, congratulations, you have awesome self-esteem. But if you're feeling something, if there's something ticking in you, if there's something that feels, oh, bummer, or, oh, well, I wish you saw me more. I wish you loved me no matter what. I wish you would have appreciated the things I've done for you. Then it's very possible that there is some struggle in your self-esteem. Why is that? So let's, let's dive a little deeper. You see, I come from school of thought as a religious person that uh, we were created with something so pure and so perfect and divine, really. And that's our soul. And therefore, the essence of who I am, everything about me is in the core of it all is loved unconditionally. And no matter how many mistakes I make, no, much, no matter how much mud I roll in throughout my day and all the flaws of who I am, of my character, of my personality, all the mistakes I commit, I'm able to, at the end of the day, look in the mirror and say to myself the following words, 
I love you. I cherish you. You are so important. You're so cherished and valued. And the mistakes I made today, I could allow room to see humanity behind those mistakes. That I'm not perfect. And I did my best. And maybe my best wasn't good enough for some people. But I know that I did my best. And if I feel I didn't do my best, guess what? If I wake up tomorrow and I open my eyes, that means that God's giving me another chance to try again. And so I will. I will give it another chance. And I will try once again to do my best. Because that's all I can do. Anything past that point is simply out of my reach. And therefore, I don't have to be aggravated about it. I don't have to be angry. I don't feel resentful. I don't have to view other people's obstacles to my destination, my accomplishments. I can view it for what it is, which is I did my best. And tomorrow I'll try again. And the day after, and so forth. And therefore, the first step of peeling away those layers that block healthy, productive self-esteem is to first come to terms with who are we really? Can I pause and just allow the thought, the idea in my mind, before it, I let it shower over my being and, so to speak, manifest and live it out? Can I at least first hold that thought for myself, which is I am divinely created. There's something so precious and special about me. And just the way, you know, for those who have children, just the way I view my child and I see their preciousness and their the beauty of their existence. Can I look in the mirror and recognize my own and see the beauty of myself and what I bring to the table? Because as long as I cannot, then guess what? I cannot do that for others either. I can only love others as much as I love myself. And I can only see others to the extent that I see myself. And until I come to terms with that step, the first step of where am I in the tapestry of my own life, do I see the beauty of what I have to offer and can I embrace and love my humanity? And until I do, I can't really love others. What do, what do others become for me? Others become obstacles on the journey of my success. They become um, trouble. They become headaches. But if I see what I have to offer and who I am, then everybody around me is beautiful as well. And I can see everybody else's humanity. Let's push a little bit further. Now, how about this item? So many times in my office, the deeper we dig in, the more the couple comes to terms with that what one seeks from the other is what I call unconditional positive regard. Unconditional positive regard. I need you to love me no matter what. I want you to show up for me and be there for me no matter what. I'm tired. What do you want from me? I'm tired. And the other spouse just this insatiable, uncontrollable, almost craving. I need more of you. I need more of your love. I need more of your acceptance. And there's just simply no room for that spouse to say, uh, hello, buddy, uh, you have boundaries, and so do I. And there has to be a place where your world ends and my world begins. And it cannot be that the two worlds are so intertwined that I simply can't establish my own parameters of my existence. You want my world to be simply swallowed up into yours. And that's not healthy. That's not possible. I need to exist. So do you. Now, can I be here to support you? Can I be here to encourage you? Acknowledge you? Absolutely. But it cannot be to a point of my world disappears and so does yours. That's what we call enmeshment. 
We don't want to be enmeshed. We want to be two people building something greater than what each one of us cannot build alone. We want to build something greater than what each one of us can build alone. That's the point of a relationship. For some people, that is family. For some people, it is business. For some people, it's travel. Whatever it is, those are the things we're meant to do together. But I'm not here to be responsible for your emotional world and your well-being. And you're not here for mine. And that's why those are the types of hard questions we have to ask ourselves. Let's try another one. Obsessing. Cannot tell you how many times we catch this one. Do you find yourself walking around obsessing over the thoughts other people have over you? And you're wondering, are they upset at me? Are they angry at me? Did they hate me? When I see them next, are they going to ignore me and look down or look away? What kind of thoughts do I carry about other people in terms of what they think about me? The more you live with that obsessed reality, the more you're wondering, oh my gosh, is this person going to like me next time they see me? Oh my gosh, is that person going to be okay with me? The more you carry those thoughts, the more it's an indicator or at least a symptom that there's a very good chance you're struggling with self-esteem. Why? Because remember, it's the starting point. Can I embrace my humanity? Made a mistake? Yeah, we'll get over it. Messed up on that job project? Yeah, we'll try again tomorrow. Disappointed my partner or spouse? Yeah, I'll apologize and try to do it better the next day. But if those thoughts are not the driving forces, and instead what the next comes is, oh my gosh, how am I going to face my boss tomorrow? Oh my gosh, what is my spouse going to think of me now? Oh my goodness, what are these people going to say about me now? That means, it's a very good indication, I've left and stepped out of world of my internal integral worth and value. And instead, I've embraced my definition to be based by what others are going to say about me. And doesn't that only stand to reason? After all, if I am an empty vessel, then anything can enter. Anything else is going to come from the outside world and fill up that vessel. But I, if I'm a full vessel, and I don't mean full of narcissism and egotism and, and disregard for others. I'm talking about being filled with the goodness of, I'm precious, I'm valuable, I have what to offer to the world. Then when others come and attempt to fill any more, the answer is, I'm sorry, there's no more space. There's no more space for your thoughts, your beliefs. Not only that, I can now even hold space for you, and I could say in my own mind, hmm, I wonder why you feel the need to show up this way around me. Because you know what, what you're sharing with me now has nothing to do with me. It has everything to do with you. And that type of separation, what we call self-differentiation, that type of, you know, I now could clearly see my world and I could clearly see yours. And I don't have to let your world become mine. And I don't have to impose my world on yours. I could see you. And when you're frustrated and angry and you even have an outburst, I could look at you and say, can you share with me what's coming up for you right now? Did you feel the need to show up this way? I don't have to fall apart. I don't have to have a meltdown because guess what? Your world doesn't define me. I define me. Or to say even deeper, I've been defined by something greater than myself, a greater power, something in the universe, in heavens, a greater power than mine created me and gave me value that could never be blemished, could never be harmed, could never be minimized, diminished, or taken away. It's something that's inherent goodness that lives in me. And I'm going to hold on to it. And every time I find myself rolling in mud, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to get up and take another shower. 
and I'm going to wash it off, and tomorrow I'm going to try again. You know why? Because of that inherent goodness, I'm going to keep reminding myself, I deserve it. I deserve to live another day. I deserve to try again. I deserve to get an apology. And guess what? If I mess somebody up or I messed up on the, on the project or an idea and I went and asked for forgiveness and somebody said to me, I won't forgive you. I can even say to myself, you know what? I did my best. And if they don't want to forgive me, it's about them. It no longer has anything to do with me. I did what I can, which is I acknowledged my responsibility. I owned up to it by apologizing. And if the other person doesn't want to acknowledge me after that, it's no longer about me. It's something that lives in them and they need to reconcile it. But I'm not going to make it about me. I'm not going to own your problems. There's just simply not enough space. A wise person once said to me, the, the real estate in my mind is way too expensive to be rented out for these other people. So when others around you come along and make comments and make statements and say things back to you that are hurtful or uh, resentful or, or spiteful, I can just stop and say to myself, you know what? I'm sorry. The real estate up here is way too expensive. I just don't have space for any more tenants. Certainly not tenants like that. And therefore, the first step we must begin is to recognize how precious self-esteem is, what a crucial role it plays. It's literally one of the key pillars of our journey through life and our success as partners, as spouses, as co-workers, as parents. In all of these arenas, our self-esteem plays out and either rears its ugly head or the beauty of what it can do. The warrior inside that can accomplish, that can conquer, that can persevere through challenges, through adversity, it all begins from that place of what is my self-esteem like and can I come to terms with that the more healing, the more nutrients I pour into that space, the more it will have a ripple effect into all areas of my life. Thanks for sticking out for part one on diagnosing self-esteem and stick, stick around for part two when we talk about how you could combat, tackle, heal, recover from low self-esteem to live a vibrant, productive life. Thank you for joining us today. For questions, comments, topics you'd like to hear more about, or to try our 24-week relationship challenge, email us at relationshipreimagined at gmail.com.